I'm trying to decide if I should talk about baptizing the Holy Spirit, which would be interesting because I have no notes. Let's do that. Let's talk about baptizing the Holy Spirit, and then when we get back from my niece's wedding, we'll talk about glorifying God. Um, you think a fellow could remember the sermon that he just wrote. I remember glorifying God. Well, maybe we'll just call that a confirmation, huh? <laughs> so there's this term called baptized in the Holy Spirit and the church. Understand that, that Jesus came on a mission, that, that mankind, those that are made in the image of God, might be reconciled back to God. They've been separated from him by sin, corruption. They don't have his righteousness. They're unrighteous. Every person that hasn't heard and responded to the gospel in, in, the, in, the, in the way that the covenant is described is estranged from God. They might think they're his children. Biblically, they're not. They're made in his image. But only those that have responded to the gospel are actually children of God that have been reconciled back to God and have an eternal relationship with him. Everybody else, when this life ends then they experience spiritual eternal death in hell, the lake of fire, separated eternally from God. So Jesus came such that mankind can be reconciled back to the Father. He came, he lived a perfect life because he was going to offer himself as a sacrifice for the sins of man. And he offered himself, and that's what we see in the cross, where he's nailed to the cross. It's what we see in the flogging, the cat of nine tails. All of that is the wrath of God being poured out on Jesus. Did I make a mistake? Okay. She's speaking in tongues. Sheke Terebe Show. Oh. Do you want to give it before or after? Which makes the most sense? Okay. So, so Jesus had to come and be tested and tried in every manner that any human being ever had been or ever would be. And he had to pass that test without ever stumbling one time in order to be a sacrifice acceptable to God for the sin of all of mankind. So he, he goes, when they come to get him, he doesn't fight him, he doesn't argue, he doesn't revile when he's being reviled. He, he surrenders himself, perfect, sinless Lamb of God, to be beaten, flogged, spat upon, humiliated, have his beard ripped out, have a thorny crown jammed down into his head, ultimately to be nailed to a wooden cross and die. The wrath of God being poured on him such that any person that would surrender themselves to the gospel could have their sin paid for in that act and his perfect righteousness imputed to them. Okay? That's the gospel in five minutes. We know that he was an acceptable sacrifice to God, that God actually accepted him and said, yep, I agree. Anybody that would receive you as Lord and Savior, I will forgive their sins and impute to them your righteousness. The reason we know that God accepted Jesus as a sacrifice is because the Bible teaches us the wage of sin is death, and the one who sins must die. If Jesus had any sin, he would still be in that tomb because it would have mattered to him just like any other person, right? So we know in the resurrection on the third day 
that he didn't have any sin and that he was an acceptable sacrifice to God because of the resurrection. So our hope is not in his death. We understand that his death and the, and the torment that he experienced was the wrath of God being poured on him so that it wouldn't have to be poured out on us. But our hope is in the resurrection. Because he's resurrected, because he lives, we can live also. So then Jesus is resurrected from the dead, and he spends 40 days literally back with his disciples, continuing to prepare them for the kingdom. Just before he ascends to the right hand of the Father, which is the scripture I was going to have you read, but you had a baby instead of a Bible. I understand. That's okay. In the book of Acts, they say... um, I'll just read it to you. This is the beginning of the book of Acts. The first account I composed, Theophilus, this is uh, Luke who wrote Acts, also wrote the Gospel of Luke. This is Luke speaking, that I composed, Theophilus, about all that Jesus began to do and teach until the day when he was taken up to heaven, after he had, by the Holy Spirit, given orders to the apostles whom he had chosen. To these he also presented himself alive after suffering by many convincing proofs, appearing to them over a period of 40 days and speaking of the things concerning the kingdom of God. So he spent 40 days after his resurrection, before his ascension, speaking to his apostles and his disciples, his disciples, the things of the kingdom. Gathering them together, he commanded them not to leave Jerusalem, but to wait for what the Father had promised, which he said, you heard from me, now this is Jesus speaking, you heard from me, for John baptized with water, but you will be baptized with the Holy Spirit not many days from now. So he's telling them, let me just read the rest and then I'll tell you. So when they had come together, they were asking him, saying, Lord, is it at this time you are restoring the kingdom to Israel? See, they still didn't understand the kingdom. They, they had been under oppression. The, the Jews were to be God's people that were to be so shiny before the world that they would, re, they would renounce their uh, fake gods and they would come and love and serve the only real true God. But Israel kept not keeping the covenant, not keeping the agreement that they made with God. And then because of that, he had to discipline them and chasten them, and forever somebody else is over them. At this time, it's the Roman Empire, and they're paying these huge taxes and, you know, all kind of stuff. They're under the thumb of Rome, and they thought Jesus was going to restore the kingdom on earth in the way that they thought it would be on earth. But see, he didn't come to free them from the the oppression of the Romans. He came to free them from the oppression of sin. And they didn't get it. So that's the question they're asking. Is, is it now? You know, you're going to come back and, and you're just going to whoop Caesar's butt and then you know, get them all out of here and we can be how we're supposed to be. He's like, now, it's not given to you know the epics and the times when you know, that's going to happen. This isn't that. So that's why they asked that question all this time, three and a half years with Jesus, and they still didn't quite get it. All right, uh, is it the time you're restoring the kingdom to Israel? He said to them, it is not for you to know times or epics which the Father has fixed by his own authority. But you will receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you, and you shall be my witnesses both in Jerusalem and in Judea and Samaria and even the remotest part of the earth. So it's interesting. Jesus taught the kingdom. All through the Gospels, that's what you see. Jesus is is teaching the kingdom. 
And then Jesus demonstrates the kingdom. That's what the healing room is. When we invite people to come, we share the gospel. We, we share the kingdom. Which kingdom do you want to live in? Do you want to live in the kingdom of darkness or the kingdom of light? Because in the kingdom of light, these are the benefits of the kingdom of life. You get your sins forgiven. You have power. You get to establish God's kingdom in places as you go. Or you can have the kingdom of darkness where you can live however filthy you want. You get to do it. But at the end of your life, you have chosen darkness and not light, and you don't get to be with God. So you have to decide which kingdom you want to live in. And then we demonstrate the kingdom. People bring their demon-possessed son. We cast the demon out of their son. People come with a bad back, taking, what were they called? Taking Percocets every day. Gets born again, gets his back healed. Demonstrate the kingdom. Teach the kingdom, demonstrate the kingdom. Jesus said, now, in the Great Commission, he's already given them the Great Commission. In the Great Commission, he says, go into all the earth, making disciples of all the nations, teaching them everything that I commanded you, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and lo, I will be with you always. So he's already told them that. Go all over the earth. Here, he said, you're going to have power, right? In Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the outermost parts of the world. And then he says, but don't go anyplace and don't do anything until you get this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit that my Father has promised to you. Because when you get the baptism of the Holy Spirit, you will then be, man, I'm shaken inside. Somebody say, glory! <laughs> I'm not much of a preacher. Look at the Bible's closed. I don't have notes or anything. <laughs> That give you great confidence, huh? <laughs> Maybe none of it's true. It is true, I promise. So, <sighs> thank you, Lord. Amen. You will be given power to be my witness. Now, there's two, there's two schools of thought in the church about this. One is, as, as we see from you know, what we're reading right now, one is that you get born again, and you may get this second infilling of the Holy Spirit at that time, or it may come later. For these guys, it came later, right? The other school of thought is that when you get born again or when you get saved, when you respond to the gospel, those are all synonymous. When you do that, you get the Holy Spirit and you're done. But you see, much of the church today, when they're Jesus' witness, they witness with their mouth. And they witness with their life, I'm a good person. I didn't used to be such a good person. Now I'm a better person. You should come to Jesus and be a better person too. But it's all with words. Jesus said, if you don't believe the words that I say, then believe by the works that I do. He's not talking about chopping wood and walking old ladies across the street. He's talking about healing the sick, raising the dead, casting out devils, cleansing lepers, the, the power of the kingdom. He said, if you don't believe that I'm the Messiah because I'm telling you I'm the Messiah, then believe that I'm the Messiah because I do the works of the Messiah that no one else could do. So part of the church thinks that when you get saved, the whole package is there. Other parts of the church believe that what this is teaching is that you need to kind of go and wait. You need to pray until you receive the second touch of the Holy Spirit called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And
I don't mean, I don't want to make schisms in the church, but these guys are born again when Jesus is talking to them. They have, they have, and they're, they're New Testament born again because they've seen the Messiah. They've placed faith in Jesus as Messiah. They've confessed his lordship over their lives. They've seen his prophesied death. They've seen his prophesied resurrection. Pretty easy to believe in the resurrected Christ when you've actually seen it, right? They believe in his resurrection. They understand that that was the payment for their sins, and by making that that trust, they're Christians. Nobody could be a Christian in the sense that we are today before Jesus was resurrected. Today, that's the way you become a Christian, is, is you place your faith in that. And Jesus told those guys who spent three and a half years with them, don't go do anything until you get this, because you need this power, right? The Apostle Paul, in one of his epistles, one of his letters in the Bible, it says that the kingdom of God is not, or is that in the gospel? Either way, it's in the Bible. The kingdom of God is not in words, but in power. When false teachers came to one of the churches that the Apostle Paul had planted, and they're telling all this other stuff, Apostle Paul says, I'm going to come there, but I'm not interested at all in what they say. I want to see their power. Because if they don't have God, they don't have the baptism of the Holy Spirit, they can't teach false things. He says, I want to see that the Holy Spirit is in them by their power. I don't care what they have to say. The point is that, that power is a huge, supernatural power is a huge part of God's kingdom and how he's going to bring to bear his kingdom on this earth. Okay, so they go to this upper room place. They go to the upper room place. Now in Acts chapter 2. The day of Pentecost is a festival that the Jewish people would celebrate. So these, these Christians, the very first Christians ever, are in this room And they've been there for, I don't know how many days, 10 days, something like that. They've been praying and waiting for this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit where they're going to get power. But they don't really know what it's going to look like. All of these Jewish people have descended upon Jerusalem because it's Pentecost. So there's tons of people there from other places that are in Jerusalem because of Pentecost, the festival. When the day of Pentecost had come, they were all together in one place and suddenly... There came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. Holy Spirit, spirit in Greek. This is translated from the old Greek language. Spirit in the Greek is pneuma. Pneuma, if you were looking at like a a tornado came, wind, it would be pneuma. A pneuma came. The wind is blowing. The pneuma is blowing. That's the Holy Spirit. This Mighty rushing wind is the Holy Spirit, Numa. And suddenly there came from heaven a noise like a violent rushing wind, and it came from heaven. That's a good indication too. A mighty rushing wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting, and there appeared to them tongues as of fire distributing themselves, and they rested on each one of them. And they were filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit was giving them utterance. So what happened to Jesse and Lauren is this happened to them. They were baptized in the Holy Spirit with the evidence of speaking in other tongues. Jesse, stand up, Jesse. Wave to the people. Say, hello, people. Jesse came over. Now you can sit down. 
I love, I'm so powerful. Stand up again. I'm just kidding. <laughs> Jesse came over to the house the other day because he, he wanted me to help him, you know, with a particular spiritual matter that he was struggling with a little bit. And somehow we got on this conversation and he's like, you know, how do I get baptized in the Holy Spirit? And, you know, I'm talking from the Bible a little bit. And he's like, you know, I had this thing. And I started asking him some questions. Asking him some, I'm like, Jesse, I think you did get baptized in the Holy Spirit. It already happened. And it was so cool. And so he goes home, and, I mean, he's having these physical manifestations as, as God is giving him these words. And the more that he presses in, the more that they come out. And then he's like, hey, you should speak in tongues. And she's, I don't know, you heard the story. But it's, very, it's just very interesting. Another brother here who has not had the manifestation of speaking in other tongues, I saw a video. Um, Kenner turned me on to this guy. And, and the guy, the... the it just showed up in my YouTube. It said, uh, speaking in tongues made easy. One of, one of my biggest frustrations is, I, you know, in the Bible you see laying out of hands, baptizing the Holy Spirit, tongues and prophecy, all these signs happen never once for me. So I never know if, you know, there's no indication that anything actually happened. And I don't, I don't like that, you know. I want to lay hands on them. I want to speak in tongues and just know it's done. Never had that experience, laid hands on many people. So here's this guy, and he's a, he's a little screwy. Um, but in a, I mean, in a good way, I guess. And, and but when he gets to the point of his thing, he says, people make this so hard. Here's what I'm going to do. I'm going to lend you mine. You just use mine until you get yours. And I'm like, you know, the Pharisee in me is like, no, no, it's got to be, you know, it can't be fake or who knows what. But so he says, now you just repeat after me. And he's like, you know, Oh, he said this. He said, start with this. We're going to start with the word Abba. Now, in Aramaic, which is also, some of the scriptures are transferred from Aramaic, Abba is the word Father. I got the the tingles again. You too? (laughs) Uh, Abba is the word Father. And and it's even interesting, in some places you'll see uh, translated in English, Abba, Father. So you'll see the Greek or the Aramaic word Abba, they just left it alone. It's, it's a great way to say father. It's how little babies say father, right? And then they translate the Greek word potter to father. So in, in the original text, it would say Abba, potter, two languages, Aramaic, Greek. They left the Aramaic alone, and they translate the Greek, Abba, father. So he says, we're going to start with Abba. He explains what it means, and then... So you, when I start, you say Abba, and then you just, I'm loaning you mine. You can just use mine. And so maybe for a minute or so, he speaks in tongues, prays in tongues. And he said, now that probably was a little hard for you to keep up. So let's do it again. And, and, and this time I'll try to go a little slower, but you just use mine, just whatever, you know. And all the while I'm, I'm having like this, for those that aren't familiar, you know, religion in our world is a four-letter word. It's form without power. It's, it's just religion. In that day, religion wasn't a bad word, but it's kind of a bad word now because it, it's, it just, it's, it's, white on, it's shiny on the outside and nasty in the middle, so to speak. But religion is trying to come out of me. Religion, it's like, come on, man, that's not God, whatever. But my insides are just full of joy as I'm watching this thing. It's just so joyful. So he starts again, you know, whatever his prayer language is. And he finishes and he talks just a minute or two more and it's done. 
And everything inside of, everything inside of that, that yucky religious spirit tried to tell me no. But everything inside my spirit was just had this giant happy smile on its face like, man, there you go. If you, you, know, if you haven't got to figure it out, just borrow mine. And that's kind of what you did, right? Amen. So, so she's got these words, but she's like, oh, you know, I'm, I'm putting words in your mouth. But she's like, oh, I'm just copying Jesse's words. And it's like, no, he let you, God let you borrow his. And maybe yours too will be the same. Mine is on its third iteration. When it first started, when I first got baptized in the Holy Spirit, I was in a giant beanbag chair. I was reading my Bible and praying. It's like, I don't know, 5.30 in the morning. And, and all of a sudden, my stomach muscles. There, I have stomach muscles. <laughs> They're well protected. My stomach muscles, I start going like this. I mean, uh, my body is just going nutsy. And then all of a sudden, my daughter laughing at me, Dad, you have no filter. <laughs> and then all of a sudden, these tongue words. I've been praying for two years. I didn't even understand what it meant. Somebody told me, if you got tongues, you got power. I'm like, I want power. I want tongues. I, didn't, I really did not understand what it meant. It starts coming out of me. And I'm telling you, it was glorious. I don't know what everybody else's experience is, but it was glorious. And I'm like, oh, man. Again, it's 530 in the morning. Oh, man. Teresa needs to come up here. This is so awesome. She's down in bed. If I go down there, maybe it'll stop. Okay, I'll call her. I got my cell phone on a little table next to the beanbag. I dial her phone number. Hi, this is Teresa. Leave me a message. I'm like, <laughs> I'm like well, she should have been awake. <laughs> Put my phone down. And, and I got a tongue. And, the, and I had that tongue for a while. And then it changed. And it, and it seemed like if you had a language that was, you know, like, I don't know, French. And then you got a new language that had like seven words. That's what happened. It seemed like it went backwards, not frontwards. And then the devil started telling me, oh, you just, you know, just be like, I love to eat pork chops with mashed potatoes. I love to eat pork chops with mashed potatoes. I love mashed potatoes and pork chops. I love to eat mashed I mean, it's like that was the whole thing. It's like, come on, what could that be? But that's what it was. And only in the last two or three months, what you heard coming out of me is brand new. I mean, I don't know what that is. Maybe there's like different angel languages in heaven. But my experience has been weird. And the devil tries to mess with me every single time. The first time when I got it, oh, that's, that's just you being a, you know, silly. This, when it changed, oh, see, it was never real. And look at it. It's only like seven words. How can that be a language? And now it changed again. And it's actually only now becoming easy. Like it does just flow off my tongue where I, I almost felt like I had to try to concentrate or something, but I, I could not do the other words. I just couldn't do them. So, I, you know, I don't know if that helps you or hurts you, but that's my personal experience. All right, back to the Bible. The day of Pentecost, they're in the upper room, and the Holy Spirit descends like a mighty rushing wind with this huge, loud sound. And these things that look like tongues of fire are coming on them as the Spirit was giving them utterance. Now there were Jews living in Jerusalem, devout men from every nation under heaven. And when this sound occurred, the crowd came together and were bewildered because each one of them was hearing them speak in his own language. So, somewhere it says the, the, the mighty words of God, like they're praising God. And there's a guy, a German guy standing there, and he's hearing these guys making these declarations in German. And there's a Chinese guy standing next to him, and he's hearing it in Chinese. And the Italian guy, he's hearing it in Italian, and, and the Scottish guy is hearing it in Scottish. And, 
you know, they, and they weren't from Germany, but, but it's the same thing. I just don't know the people where they were from necessarily. But they're hearing these men speaking in their native tongues of the great wonders of God. That was the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And they were given power then to testify, be witnesses for Jesus. If you go, um, oh no, lost my place. I, I'm not that good at working these paper ones. If you go into the book of Acts, which it details the, the early church, you go into the book of Acts, I think it's, um, I think it's chapter 8. You go into... There's a long pause I'll have to edit out of there. Makes me look like I don't know my Bible. I can't have that on the internet. <laughs> so here, here you see. Now Jesus said, right, don't go anywhere until you get this thing called the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And then you're to go. You're in Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, to the four corners of the world. So there's this guy. His name is Philip. He must have got baptized in the Holy Spirit. He's in Samaria. This is Acts chapter 8, starting in verse 4. Listen to this. Therefore, those who had been scattered went about preaching the word. Philip went down to the city of Samaria and began proclaiming Christ to them. He's sharing the gospel. The crowds, with one of accord, were giving attention to what was said by Philip as they heard and saw the signs, or that could be translated as miracles, attesting miracles, which he was performing. For in the case of many who had unclean spirits, they were coming out of them, demons are being cast out, shouting with a loud voice, and many who had been paralyzed and lame were healed. So there was much rejoicing in that city. So here we have this guy baptized in the Holy Spirit. He goes to this place called Samaria, and he is he's declaring the gospel, but he's declaring the gospel with the power he received when he got the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And the people are amazed because they know the demon-possessed guys, right? I mean, they're, they're the people that are just so uncontrollable and so miserable and so whatever, and they're seeing the demons coming out and the people are getting delivered and saved. They're seeing the sick being healed, the blind eyes being opened, the deaf ears being opened. God is attesting through Philip to the word of the kingdom. That's what's happening here, okay? All right, now, I'm going to skip down to verse 14. Well, hang on a minute. Trust me. You read the whole thing. Lots of miracles and powerful signs. You, you go down now to verse 14. Now, when the apostles in Jerusalem heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent Peter and John who came. Well, other thing I should tell you is Philip baptized these people that, that responded to the gospel. Just a little piece of doctrine for you. You don't baptize un baptize unsaved people. You baptize saved people, right? Because some will argue that when, when Peter and John came down, they came so that they would get saved. But it's like, well, wait a minute. Philip already baptized them. They're saved. You don't baptize somebody that's not saved. When they make the profession for Christ, you put them in the water, out they come. Peter and John were coming to see that they got that second thing, which would be the baptism of the Holy Spirit. Okay, now, when the apostles in Jerusalem had heard that Samaria had received the word of God, they sent them Peter and John, who came down and prayed for them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. He, for he had not yet fallen upon any of them, 
They had simply been baptized in the name of the Lord Jesus. Well, there it is right there. Then they began laying their hands on them, and they were receiving the Holy Spirit. So when the apostles heard, yay, people in Samaria are getting saved, they they didn't just go have a party. They went straight to Samaria because there was something that those people had to have, and Peter and John need to know they have it because they don't want them going out where they can only witness with their lips and not witness with the power of the kingdom. So lickety-split, they go straight to Samaria. They lay hands on them. And then listen to this. In the part I skipped over, they talk about this guy, Simon, who was like a sorcerer, and he had demonic powers, but he, he was connecting now with the true God of the universe, and he's watching what's happening. Maybe he got baptized himself. It says, Now when Simon saw that the Spirit was bestowed through the laying on of the apostles' hands, he offered them money, saying, Give this authority to me as well, so that everyone on whom I lay my hands may receive the Holy Spirit. Now, he got kind of poked in the eye pretty good for trying to buy that ability, right? But why would he do that if nothing happened? When the apostles and the the disciples in the upper room in Jerusalem were waiting, something powerful happened. There 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 was physical evidence that they got baptized in the Holy Spirit. When the apostles came from Jerusalem to Samaria, they laid hands on them, and something amazing happened because this guy Simon, who was already doing amazing things, was willing to give somebody money that he might be able to do that kind of a thing, right? It doesn't tell us what that was, but you can infer that it was something, and it was something pretty substantial, right? Okay, so now, if um, there are five, five instances in the book of Acts, where people get baptized with the Holy Spirit. The first one is on the day of Pentecost. The second one, I think, is here in Samaria. The third one is literally Saul of Tarsus, who we know as the Apostle Paul himself, where uh, he has this theophany. He, He meets Jesus on the road to Damascus, And he's blinded by this bright light, and he hears the voice of God speaking to him. His eyes are blinded, and the voice says, Saul, Saul, you know, why are you persecuting me? And Saul's like, who are you, Lord? And he says, I'm Jesus, who you persecute. Jesus tells him to go to Damascus, I think, someplace, and wait. That a person named Ananias is going to come and he's going to lay hands on you and pray for you. So then God speaks. I don't know if it's God or an angel speaks to this guy, Ananias. He's like, hey, you need to go and lay your hands on the Apostle Paul or Saul of Tarsus. He's not yet the Apostle Paul. And he's like, hey, this guy kills Christians. You know, you sure you really want me to go see the guy that kills Christians? He's like, yeah, you go and you tell him how he must suffer for my name. So Ananias, obedient to God, he he goes, he finds Saul, and, and he says, God has sent me to you. He lays hands on Saul. The scales are removed from his eyes. And, and Saul either was already born again and is then baptized in the Holy Spirit. And no indication that anything, you know, supernaturally to your sight happened. But the Apostle Paul later in one of his letters said, I'm glad that I speak in tongues more than all of you do. So we know the Apostle Paul spoke in tongues. He taught about how the church should operate in tongues. He taught about what the gift of tongues is. There's, there's three different manifestations of the gift of tongues. So that's the second. The third happens at this place called the House of Cornelius in the Bible. 
Cornelius is like a Roman centurion. You know, he's got, I don't know, a thousand soldiers under his authority, and uh, he's responsible for, you know, some territory, I guess. And um, an angel comes and visits him and says that God has heard or seen. He's very, he's very generous and kind towards the Jewish people. And he says, send some of your people to, I think it's Joppa or Joppa, where this guy named Peter is. He's in this house at this address. It's cool how God knows everything, right? And you tell him to go get him, and I'm going to tell him to go with you. So at the same time, uh, Peter is up on this rooftop, and and he's praying, and all of a sudden he has this vision, and and he sees different things that, that indicate a little bit of a doctrinal error that he had. And then he's told by an angel, these guys are going to come and get you. They're going to want to take you to this place called Cornelius' house. You're to go with them. Well, see, Peter and, and the original guys, they thought that only Jews could be Christians, that, that God had selected from all of humanity these people who are the um, literal descendants of Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, the 12 tribes of Israel. They're the only ones that, that Jesus came to save. This Cornelius guy is not a Jew. He's a Gentile. So Peter's like, all right, you know. He goes there, and Cornelius says, hey, you know, angel told me to send somebody. Peter said, angel told me to come. Here I am. And he starts to preach the gospel. And as he's preaching the gospel, Cornelius and his household start to speak in other tongues. Now, later in the book of Acts, there's this big controversy. Can Gentiles be saved or just Jews? Peter is one of the three top apostles. He's Peter, James, and John are the three guys that were the closest, the most intimate with Jesus. Peter says, hey, listen, God has offered repentance. Interesting word. God has offered repentance, not just to the Jews, but to the Gentiles. They're like, how do you know? He said, because the same thing that happened to us happened to them. The thing he was referencing was speaking in other tongues. So, when, when you say, well, how do you know if somebody's saved or, or not? I, you know, maybe you could fake tongues, but generally, you know, who would want to do that? You, you look silly. You look silly when you're not faking tongues, quite honestly. If somebody speaks in tongues, I say you're saved. And you say, well, how do you know? Well, Romans chapter 8 says, the one that has the Holy Spirit is of God, belongs to God. The one who doesn't have the Holy Spirit doesn't belong to God. So if a person speaks in tongues, it's only a manifestation of the Holy Spirit. Therefore, you know that they're born again. That's the argument Peter was making. He's saying, listen, because they spoke like we spoke, I know that God has granted them repentance, salvation, because they have the Holy Spirit. Peter, how do you know that? Because they spoke in tongues. Now, before the devil starts messing with your head, if you don't speak in tongues, that doesn't mean you can't be a Christian. It only implies that you may not yet have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. See, every, I don't, you know, don't pick on any denominations, but I don't think Lutheran people or Baptist people, right? Baptist people, not too much about tongues, right? Right, right, okay. So, so a, a, a typical Baptist person wouldn't speak in tongues. So we wouldn't be able to say that they are Christian because we know they have the Holy Spirit because they speak in tongues, but they very, very much can have the Holy Spirit in the sense that they got born again and the Holy Spirit has come to dwell inside of them. They have the Holy Spirit just like Romans chapter 8 says. They just may not have the evidence of having been baptized in the Holy Spirit because they don't believe that it's, it's something that they should try to have. 
So the Baptist person is just as saved as the tongue-speaking person. The only difference in the tongue-speaking person is you can say that they probably have been baptized in the Holy Spirit because that's the pattern. There's nowhere in here that says that if you speak in tongues, you're baptized in the Holy Spirit. But the indication is that that's the initial physical evidence of having been baptized in the Holy Spirit, okay? So, so I'm, I want you to hear me. If the, if the devil gets in your ear and says, oh, you're not a Christian because you don't speak in tongues, that, doesn't, that, that is absolutely untrue. Okay, so Samir, uh, Pentecost, Samaria, Apostle Paul, that's three. I said there's five. House oh, House of Cornelius. Phew, I remember the fifth one. I forgot the one I just talked about. Thank you. The fifth time you see it in the book of Acts, you have the Apostle Paul going to Ephesus, where we have the, the biblical book called Ephesians. That's a letter that Paul wrote back to the church at Ephesus. And as he comes to Ephesus, he runs across these, I think it's 12, some number of what, what he calls disciples. So the implication is they're probably already Christians, but we don't know for sure. And so he's talking with these disciples, and he says, do you have the Holy Spirit? And they're like, we didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. They might have been Baptists. <laughs> I'm just joking. Forgive me for that, Lord. We didn't even know there was a Holy Spirit. And Paul says to them, well, to, into what baptism have you been baptized? And they say, into the baptism of John. He says, well, John's baptism is a baptism of repentance. And, and John the Baptist came baptizing people in repentance, that they would repent for their sins, making a way for the Messiah. So to, to gain the Messiah starts with repentance. So they had been baptized, maybe by John, maybe by one of his disciples, into this baptism of repentance. So the Apostle Paul, who, who was Saul of Tarsus, now the Apostle Paul is speaking with them, and either they were already saved or they got saved in that conversation because it says he baptized them in water. Just like in Samaria, they were baptized. Now, at the house of Cornelius, interesting enough, they were baptized. Some people will say you can't be saved unless you're baptized in water. We know that's not true, right? Because the people in the house of Cornelius had the Holy Spirit, which meant they were saved. And, and Peter said, who could deny them the water? Which meant we, we, we have to be able to baptize them because they're born again. They have the Holy Spirit. Yet, they hadn't been baptized in water. So if somebody says you have to be baptized in water to be saved, then you've got to explain to me why the Apostle Paul said, or uh, Peter said different. They were already born again. Then they got baptized. Now, here you see... Sorry, all the names get in my head. They go so fast. The Apostle Paul is in Ephesus. He finds these disciples who have been baptized into a baptism of repentance. Whatever happens next, we don't know. But he baptizes them in water. So he believes that they have become Christians. They've responded to the gospel. They made covenant with God. They're now brothers, Christians. He baptizes them in water. And then... He lays hands on them that they might receive the Holy Spirit. They've already received the Holy Spirit in the sense that, that he's taken up residence in them. But they might receive the baptism of the Holy Spirit. And it says, when that happened, they began to speak in other tongues and to prophesy. So, five times in the book of Acts, you see people being baptized in the Holy Spirit. Three times, Pentecost, 
Cornelius' house, Ephesus, you see something happen in coincidence with them being baptized. Two times, nothing is specifically articulated in the scriptures, but you know something happened in Samaria because this guy Simon, who already had you know, dark powers, but they were powers, he wanted the power to cause what happened to them. If nothing happened, if there was no visible sign, who cares, right? I'll keep my money. So you can imply that something happened. If you're going to imply what, you'd say speaking in tongues, maybe prophesying. And then the other time where it doesn't indicate anything is, is uh, Saul of Tarsus ultimately, you know, becomes the apostle Paul. And he says, I speak in tongues more than all of you guys. So the doctrine is that speaking in tongues is the initial evidence that you have been baptized, that this second thing of the Holy Spirit has come upon you. I don't know. This is a big deal. We're in Assemblies of God Church. I mean, it's not on the sign, but we're in Assemblies of God Church. The Assemblies of God is a Pentecostal church. The, the, the Pentecostal names name kind of indicates that we believe that the gifts of the Holy Spirit, healing, speaking in tongues, prophesying, words of wisdom, words of knowledge, supernatural faith, miracles, those kind of things are still active in the church today, The pow- referenced by the power that came at Pentecost when they were first baptized in the Holy Spirit. If you ever hear Pentecostal church, that's kind of what it means in comparison to a, to a church that would be called cessationist, that the, that the gifts of the Spirit have seceded from the church because... Generally, what they believe is we have the Bible. Because we have the Bible, all the questions are answered, and we don't need those gifts. And there's one scripture that says when perfection comes, no more speaking in tongues, no more prophesying, the old things will have passed away, the new things will have come. Well, they believe that the new thing is the canon of the New Testament. Pentecostal doesn't think so. So that's kind of where we would differ. Because they they taught that way, they don't... They don't search out. They don't, they don't eagerly desire, earnestly desire the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Well, if they don't ask, they don't get. So, you know, they, they give a kind of a self-confirming situation. And we have a self-confirming situation because we do see people being healed. I mean, huge, wonderful miracles of people being healed. Anyway, the Pentecostal doctrine is that the laying or the speaking of other tongues is the initial evidence. If you want to be a minister in the in the Assemblies of God, buddy, you better be okay with tongues. You sit down. I was I, somebody talked to me one before I went and had my interview, and they said, "Hey, listen, you know, they nixed me because I wouldn't agree with the, you know the way they described tongues." Well, he was like twenty-two years old. I, I'm fifty or something at the time. It's like I'm not going to screw around with you guys. I sit down in the interview. Nice to see you. Nice to see you. Before you ask me any questions, I'm telling you what I believe about tongues. Because there's no sense in us talking for an hour, you ask me about tongues and you send me home. Let's get that done right now. And they're like, okay. And I told them that I believe that the initial evidence of being baptized in the Holy Spirit is that you speak in other tongues. But I would never teach that it's absolutely true because the Bible doesn't say so. The Bible demonstrates that you can connect dots and say so. But there's no straight line between being baptized in the Holy Spirit and that you spoke in other tongues. But I would hang my hat on the fact that if you spoke in other tongues, you know you've been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And if you don't speak in tongues, I would continue to press in until you speak in other tongues. Were you already? Did you have that second infilling? I don't know. 
But why wouldn't you continue to press in until you get that confirmation that we can see as the very pattern in the Bible? The, la- the last thing I'd show you, and, and I know where this one is, it's the last verse in Acts chapter 13. I haven't studied this in any depth, so you'll have to, you'll have to just bear with me. But I like it. I like it a lot. The last verse in Acts chapter 13 reads this. Anybody that's responded to the gospel is a Christian. This is speaking to Christians, disciples. Excuse me. And the disciples were continually filled with joy and with the Holy Spirit. So you might have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You might not have been baptized in the Holy Spirit. You might speak in tongues. You might not speak in tongues. But if you're a disciple of Jesus, you should be looking to be continually filled with the Holy Spirit. It's back again. (laughs) And joy. Okay, well, see, since I didn't write this sermon, I don't have a really great ending to it. (laughs) Okay, I might help you, but go ahead. Hey, did you like that? Ever heard that? Right? Thank you. Well, that had to be the Lord, right? Because I have no notes. I make no promises. You finish. I got a thing and everything. Caitlin, you report to me, not her. All right. (laughs) Yeah, so if the worship team can come on up, that'd be great. Um, The whole time that you were speaking, every time that the Holy Spirit would descend upon you and you could uh, feel his presence, I, I kept asking him, you should face them. I'm, okay, sorry. Yeah, cut him off. <laughs> I couldn't sleep last night. And um, I tossed and I turned and I tossed and I turned. And um, I noticed um, my phone flashing and it was Lauren's message. And I saw that she had been baptized in the Holy Spirit. And I was like, wow, that's so cool. Well, I tossed and turned a little more. And then I kept seeing this light. This light was on me. So I kept trying to figure out, where the heck is that light coming from? And I couldn't find, the moon wasn't shining through the window because we leave our window open. And um, I kept looking in the room. And I'm like, what is this light? And the whole time that Pat was speaking, The Lord, it was the Lord last night confirming what he wants to do here today. Go ahead and bring the lights down, Caitlin. Let's get... Go ahead. One more thing I want to teach. Go ahead and teach it. Okay. I'm sorry, but this is important. I mean... Oh, and Steve has a testimony. There are multiple manifestations of the gift of tongues. It's not just one thing. One thing that it is, is what we would call a prayer language. So when you're alone in your prayer closet, or you know wherever it is that you would pray, and you start praying in tongues, when I pray like that, it doesn't take 30 seconds, and my body starts to go twingy. Um, I don't know what that is. I don't feel glory, but my body just sits like it's short circuits. The point is, Bible teaches us we don't know how to pray. 
we, we pray with the best heart we got, with the best words we can offer to the Lord, but the Holy Spirit and Lord Jesus, they search the heart of the Father yes. to know His will for me. And when I'm praying in tongues, what is actually happening is the Holy Spirit is using me as a vessel to pray the perfect will of God that he's gone and he said, okay, you know, this is what the Lord would have him pray. God says you don't get if you don't ask, but I don't know what to ask for and I don't know how to ask for it. So when I, when I pray in tongues, what's happening is the Holy Spirit is actually praying in whatever this angel tongue is or whatever, the perfect prayer that he heard the Father's desire and he's rising up inside of me because the process is that you ask the Father, what's his will? If he tells you, you know, what, what should I have for lunch? A cheeseburger. Then you go have a cheeseburger. But if you say, what should I have for lunch? And you don't know, you might have spaghetti. And spaghetti tastes pretty good, but that might not have been, it's a stupid example, but you get what I'm saying, may not have been God's will for you, right? So Holy Spirit says, Sheke Terebe Show. God hears cheeseburger. He says, you know, cheeseburger. You say cheeseburger, and it happens. So that's one of the wonderful things about having a tongue is that you don't got to, got to, <laughs> that's bad English. You don't have to concern yourself with what to pray for because Holy Spirit has already searched the Father's heart and he's now stirring prayers out of you that Holy Spirit is seen from the Father. Is that awesome? Mm-hmm. Okay. Mm-hmm. All right. So go ahead and bring the lights down. Everybody stand up. We're going to prepare well, our hearts. Should we for... do Steve's testimony first? Because we've got to do his testimony yet. In just a second. Okay. You need to cut your mic off. <laughs> wow. See who's the head of my house. No, I am, Lord. I wear the britches at the Brady no, home. I'm just kidding. Unless she doesn't let me. You need to work on that. <laughs> Thank you. Yeah. That wasn't any disrespect to you, honey. That was okay. Okay. Yeah. This is for all of us, and I just um. I understand what the light was now last night. Um, for those of you that have been baptized in the Holy Spirit and speak another, uh, you know, have your prayer language, that's awesome. But I feel like he's going to, like Pat um, has, um, it's changed. I feel like that that's going to happen to you today. For those of you that have not been baptized in the Holy Spirit, <clears throat> um, I, I believe that that's going to happen today. I think that's why the light was on me. Isaiah 60 says, Arise, shine, for your light has come, and the glory of the Lord has risen upon you. For behold, darkness will cover the earth, and deep darkness the people, but the Lord will rise upon you, and his glory will appear upon you. His glory, that's what the day of Pentecost, they saw his glory like tongues of fire above the people's heads. When I first got saved, I saw that on people. God opened my eyes so that I could see it, physically see it. Those people that were baptized in the Holy Spirit, I could see it. 
And I know that that's what he wants to do here today. This is not coincidence that it's a spontaneous message. This is his plan all along. And it started early this morning. Well, it started when it happened to Jesse and Lauren. But it started, the process started early this morning when I couldn't sleep and couldn't figure out why I couldn't sleep and where that light was coming from. It was his light upon me to tell each and every one of you his glory. His glory wants to come upon you. Because he desires for his glory to rest upon you because he desires you. Because he loves you. Because he created you in the image of his son, Jesus Christ. You're created. You're an image bearer. And it's his desire that we each and every one of us carry that glory about us. And he wants to have these conversations with us. So he gives us this wonderful prayer language. He gives us this speaking in tongues so that when we we go to these different places, these faraway places, Tanzania, wherever you are, they understand you. And his power can be demonstrated in the healing, the deliverance, and the salvations that you come into. So today as you... As we go into worship, just start saying Abba and see where it takes you. And don't be afraid. Don't be ashamed. This is his glory coming upon you. Why? Because this earth is filled with darkness. And deep darkness covers the people of this earth so they can't see his great light. This great light is freedom, freedom from darkness, freedom from torment, freedom from sickness and disease and all those things. It's not doesn't mean we won't suffer. Jesus suffered. We'll do the same. But we don't do it alone, and we do it with his presence, him right beside us like a good, good father. Steve? So for the, fa- the the past like three weeks now, there's been this dialogue between me and God that that I've been having, and, and I'm a bad Tecostal, so like the getting words of knowledge and and things like that are, are new for me. So it probably takes me longer to latch on than someone who's not so Baptist. Um, but I've just been hearing childlike faith. childlike faith so there's a couple examples here one's from a long time ago we have this daughter who's like she's absolutely amazing and she's been that way for a really long time and I remember once she had to be around kindergarten age um, back when Shannon and I were youth pastors we were driving back home to Florida from Michigan and there was a specific song that Larkin was really into and I don't really remember even what the song was but we're driving in the minivan and she's asking us to play it over and over and over and I was in a place in my life where I was kind of burnt out 
just on the whole ministry thing. And I was really starting to bunt heads with what I believed versus what Bible college was teaching. And, and she's in the back. She just play it again. Can you play it one more time? And it's like all the way through Ohio. It's the same song. And so like in my annoyance, I'm like, fine, you know, I'll play it again. And I hit play. And then I happened to catch a glimpse of the rear view mirror. And her arms are outstretched and her head's all the way back. And she's worshiping so hard. Childlike faith. And last night at our house, I was cooking a late dinner. We were feeling under the weather yesterday and Shane was sitting with Drew in the living room and she was reading him this Bible story book that they've been going through and The, the the reading started about the Garden of Gethsemane. And I'm in the kitchen, so I'm just kind of overhearing, but I can hear Drew asking questions. And, like, for the first time, they, they usually read, like, one day at a time. And this time he's like, we can't, we can't stop here. Like, what happens next? Like, he was really into it. And so she read him the next part, and it was on the crucifixion. And... He just starts weeping on the couch. He's like, Mom, why would those people be so mean? Like to the point where I stop cooking and I go in the living room and sit with him. We're like, buddy, you're not getting it yet. This isn't where the story ends. There is a really awesome part coming up next. And he just was just crying and just, why would he do that, Dad? Why would he do that? Childlike faith. And then this morning, Pat says that the one pastor at the meeting yesterday was praying for the power of God to come back to the church. And I just hear like something yelling in my head. Childlike faith needs to come back to the church. I'm not the most experienced uh, tongue speaker in the world but it's happened and I'm telling you right now it starts with with stop thinking about the mirror and just start looking up stop stop thinking about don't overprocess it be like the mind of a child I want to be here right now nothing else God and me